You're listening to the Fantrax Podcast Network. Fantasy Sports Entertainment lives here. Welcome to the Fantrax Prospect Toolshed. If you love prospects, you came to the right place, as that's what this show is all about. Covering all levels of the minors to help give you an advantage in your dynasty leagues. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clegg. All right, prospect fanatics around the world, welcome to the Toolshed. This is episode 7 of the Fantrax Prospect Toolshed with Clegg and Cross. Powered, of course, by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross, and joining me, as always, in the tool shed is my esteemed co-host from Fantrax HQ. You know him as the smooth southerner, as I like to call him, Mr. Chris Clegg. What's going on, man? Hey, Eric. What's up, man? I'm doing pretty good over here. Just ready to talk some first baseman. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We were talking before we came on the air. Um, I think I might like catcher better than first base, which is crazy to even say, but... You know, after you get past, you know, the top tier here, it gets kind of iffy, we'll say that. But we'll, we'll get into all of that here in a little bit. But before we do, a little bit of housekeeping. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star review on iTunes or on your preferred podcasting platform. Those ratings and reviews mean a lot. And you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at EricCross04. Chris is at RotoClegg. And our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. And a little bit of, of uh, Fantrax HQ plugs here. I will have a piece up when you're hearing this today on Monday uh, about Tristan Casas to, to uh, correlate with this article. That was a fun one to write. And I'll have some Dynasty Outfield by lows later in the week, along with updated 2021 positional rankings. And, of course, finishing up the work on the Fantasy Baseball Black Book that Joe Pisapia puts out. That'll be ready for sale on the 15th of this month, I believe, is the goal. And then Chris has an article on Chris Sale, also out today on Monday. And he also has some Dynasty starting pitcher sell highs and some XBA overperformers. So a lot of good stuff here. Uh, we got two or three articles most days pumping out at Fantrax HQ on baseball, or at least one or two a day to get you through the offseason here, both for Dynasty and redraft articles. So definitely go over and check out FantraxHQ.com. And then also check out all the other great podcasts we have on Fantrax HQ including the new editions, SP Streamer Podcast with Doug Ichikawa and Michael Simeone, the Triple Play Podcast. They have a baseball, basketball, and football podcast every week. My other podcast, Five Tool. And then also we have On Campus, Kick Around, Fantasy Hockey Life, and IDP. So a lot of good stuff going on on Fantrax HQ all the time. But let's talk some first baseman, Chris. Let's let's do it. Like I said, this isn't the most glorious position right now, but at the top, we have, you know, any, up to four, depending on two of these guys. Maybe first baseman, maybe not. We're including them mainly because it makes this position a little better uh, than it would be without them. So we're going to include them for now because there's at least a shot that they end up at first base. But uh, before we get into all these all this player analysis here, let's go over our top tens each. So, Chris, why don't you kick us off? Who's your top ten at this position? All right. So probably pretty consensus here, the top guy is Spencer Torkelson. 
Number two, Andrew Vaughn, which is, again, probably con- consensus there. Number two, uh, Tristan Casas, number three, who very excited about. Again, you can read that piece that Eric just wrote about him. And then number four, Alex Kirloff, who just debuted, actually, in the playoffs with the Twins. Uh, Michael Toglia out in Colorado, number five. Uh, recent draftee Aaron Sabato, number six. Ryan Mountcastle, seven. Lewin Diaz, eight. Seth Beer, nine. And Bryce Ball, ten. How's your top ten shape out? Pretty similar. A um, couple different names and a couple switched around. But uh, I got Torque at one, obviously. Andrew Vaughn, two. Tristan Cassis, three. Alex Kirloff, four. Ryan Mountcastle, five. Seth Beer, six. Michael Toglia, seven. Aaron Sabato, eight. Lewin Diaz, nine. And Mason Martin, 10. I also wrote down Bryce Ball. I wrote down 11 names by accident. But, um, yeah, so pretty similar. A couple different names in there. Um, a couple flip-flop around. But, you know, this is basically more or less the pretty much the consensus you'll see in a lot of places, um, give or take a couple names here and there. But let's start at the top uh, with these, those beautiful four that we mentioned, all of which are inside of my top 25, uh, two of which are inside of my top 10, or maybe Vaughn's at 11, but he's close. And, of course, the two we mentioned that maybe, you know, at, wind up at different positions, Spencer Torkelson and Alex Karloff. We were, we were talking about this before we came on the air, too, about how obviously Torkelson played, you know, mostly first base at uh, Arizona State. But, you know, part of that was due to the presence of Gage Workman over there at the hot corner. Has played some third base. We'll see. You know, I, I lean more towards him being a first baseman just because – and while I think he can play third, I think he definitely could handle it and be at least adequate there. Just because Detroit has a few options over there already. Like they also drafted Gage Workman. They got Isaac Paredes. Uh, they drafted Colt Keith, I believe, in the fourth round of the draft, maybe fifth round. Uh, he's he played a lot of third base in addition to pitching a little bit as well. So they definitely have some options over there. While first base is pretty much wide open. Yeah, they've got Candelario played a little bit there, but you know. Torkelson definitely could be the big bat this team has needed since Miguel Cabrera's kind of demise over the last handful of years. And he is definitely a good one, huh, Chris? Yeah, I think it, he definitely sticks at first base. It was interesting when the Tigers announced him as a third baseman when they drafted yeah. him. It was quite interesting to see that. Like you mentioned, he probably could be an average third baseman in the field. But I just I don't see it. There's too many options in the Detroit system. He's just the natural replacement for Miggy at first, even though we know that Miggy's kind of basically their DH now. Um, I think Candelario played first base mostly this year. But Torkelson easily jumps in, and his bat's going to play anywhere in the lineup, whether it be third or first. I think first probably long-term. The bat is arguably the best here at the position. Very solid hit tool. Uh, Just a ton of raw power, arguably 70-grade raw. So the power is definitely there. Not much speed to uh, see there, but when when you have the power and hit tool, it doesn't matter. I mean, he he's just going to be a monster, and he might could come up in 2021, which would be interesting to see um, drafting last year in the debut. It's not out of the realm of possibilities. I think that he comes up at the end of 2021 and just, just matches, but they don't really have much of a reason to rush him, so it'll be interesting to see when they do decide to bring him up. But obviously – Everyone likes Torque a lot. He's going to be going 1-1 in probably every first-year player draft because he is that good and he deserves it. He, yeah, he is that good. And you, you mentioned you know, the, the power, 70-grade power. He's got right around a plus hit tool as well, so he's definitely more than just the power. 
this guy has a legit chance to be a guy that flourishes with 300 average, at least 280 plus with 35 plus home runs and all those counting stats go along with it. You know, even if Detroit's lineup isn't, you know, really the greatest right now, uh, they do do got some guys coming up and, you know, especially a lot of guys they drafted in this draft class, which was entirely collegiate hitters. So, you know, this definitely could be a Detroit lineup on the rise. Who knows what they do in free agency, but whatever they do, Torkelson should be right in the middle of that lineup. You know, he's, such a high floor too. Like the ceiling is incredibly high, but the floor is almost just as high and they definitely needed a guy like this. And look at what he did. He's, he's never struggled. You're right. In his three, three years at Arizona state, I mean, two seasons on the Cape Cod league, even a one of those uh, 2019 on the Cape was only five games. But if you combine everything together, which is basically right around a full season, 159 games total between Arizona state and Chatham in the Cape Cod league. Slash run, 338, 467, 731, 63 bombs, 162 RBI, 174 runs, and 44 doubles, and even 200 hits. Even added nine steals, even though obviously don't count him for the power. But, you know, the power, the contact skills, the approach, you know, collegiate ranks, 17.5% walk rate, 16.6% strikeout rate. So, and that carried over into the Cape Cod League as well. We had 24 walks to 27 Ks total in this 30 games there. So everything's there, you know, moving on to Andrew Vaughn here. I think when you compare the twos, I think a lot of people like to do that and they're close. There's not a huge gap from Torque down to Vaughn, but I think the drop off is power because hit tool, I think is pretty similar. I think maybe if you had to give the edge to one of these two guys and hit tool, you might even give it to Vaughn by a hair but power he's more of a plus power guy i got 25 to 30 maybe low 30s home run type well torque could be you know 35 to 40 bombs maybe maybe even more than that you know and neither one of these two guys are very big either like you look at their list height and weight here six one two twenty for torque six foot 215 for vaughn but both very strong frames you know, with with Vaughn, he has a phenomenal approach, just like Torque. Maybe even better than Torque. Look at his final two seasons at the University of California, which were in uh, 2018 and 2019, before he went number three overall in the draft behind Richmond and Bobby Witt Jr. He had a 20.8% walk rate and a 10.2% strikeout rate. And minors has been that robust, but still 12.2% and 15.3%. You gotta love Vanya. Balance. He's very balanced, quiet setup at the plate. Quick hands plus bat speed can really drive the ball, you know, to all fields and has that great zone awareness. I think he's just to be a very good hitter that probably goes underrated a lot just because he doesn't have that elite power like Torque does. Yeah, Vaughn is definitely an interesting player. He's, I think, like you said, I'd probably give the edge to Vaughn hit tool wise, edge to Torque power wise. Still going to be an incredible player. And something I did read, I was reading uh, Mining the News by Jeff Zimmerman, and just I think earlier in the week, he noted that Vaughn is expected to be the everyday DH for the Sox in 2021. So he's a guy that should be up early and contributing. Obviously, they've got a Brayu over there at first base, so he should get the bulk of the reps there. But Vaughn's going to get a chance to play. Uh, and like you mentioned, he has a chance to just really go off. I think you could easily see him hit 300 with – with 25, 30 bombs, and I would not be surprised in the slightest. And 
walks extremely high rates. He obviously gets he got pitched around a lot in college because he was that good. And he's I mean, he was the best power hit combo in the twenty nineteen draft class. I think he again has a safe floor. So I'd expect him to be pretty safe. And the upside's definitely there to be a high end player as well. So with both Torque and Vaughn, you're getting guys that have safe floors but also have very, very high upside. Absolutely. And you mentioned a good thing about how he you know, he probably is going to be up early in the season. I, I did see that same thing from Jeff Zimmerman. And well, I'm not like 100% buying into him being on the opening day lineup. You know, I never usually buy into that until, you know, you see the one of those contracts like Evan White got or whatnot. But definitely, even if he's not on opening day in that lineup, you got to think he's up by, you know, late April, early May. So if you, could, if you have deeper benches or draft and holds, and, and definitely get this guy late because – and this is the type of advanced bat that can definitely make an impact right away. You know, maybe he's not a 330 stud right off the bat, but I, I can't see him just coming up and floundering and hit 200 and get sent back down in June or whatever. Definitely a guy that could probably at least give you a solid average. Maybe he hits like 270, 275 this year with a 20 to 25 homer pace, but you can take that late. You know, he's one of the few you know, prospects this year. I think it's like I'm super early. You know, Clinic's obviously another one. Um, that's definitely going to contribute right off the bat and one of the higher four prospects. If you ranked on floor, I think Vaughn, both Vaughn and Torque are probably top 10 floor prospects if you're ranking solely on that, and in addition to their super high upside as well. Then moving over here to my Boston Red Sox and the guy that was the focus of my article today, uh, Tristan Cassis. As a Red Sox fan, I am thrilled that we got him in this system. We needed a big kind of middle of the order bat like this. You know, while I like Devers, obviously, and, and Bogarts, I, I wanted to get like the next David Ortiz. I can just, you can slot there and just hit 40 bombs or something like that. When I was watching the 2018 draft and doing all my tweets that I did, I saw him falling on the board. And it's not often in, in the, you know, Major League draft, Major League Baseball draft that you your team gets the guy you want. There's, obviously, there's a lot of other factors that go into things with slot money and all that. But when we got Cassis there at pick 26, I was ecstatic. And he's just gotten better and better. The power's always been there. The hit tool has improved. Like you saw rave reports you know, out of him this year at the alternate site after he was uh, added to the, their player pool in mid-August, including my one of my favorite stories of the 2020 baseball season where he got hit by a Tanner Houck pitch in a sim game declined to take first base like a freaking boss. He's like, no, no, I'm going to finish this at bat. And then ended up hitting a shot that I don't think has landed yet. It was, I don't know what the distance was in that, but I'm guessing 450 plus. It was absolutely hammered to right center. So you love this kid's work ethic. You know, he's a potential for, you know, I think he's above average hit. You've seen some borderline plus hit tools thrown on him. The approach is there. You know, he, in a quote I was reading too that I included in my article is that, you know, he, you know, as, a, as a kid, grew up idolizing Joey Votto and tried to model his own approach after that. And that includes his two strike approach where he kind of took up in the bat a little bit. You know, it, you don't usually see that from a guy that big. You know, he's 6'5, 240. And in some places I've seen him list that 250 to 255 which he definitely is every bit of that. But 
you know, more versatile than, you know, he gets on, gets on, doesn't have a longer swing, very compact, quick swing, but with thunderous power. Man, Chris, I am so freaking excited about Christian Casas. Yeah, there's no question. I watched him several times um, when he was down here in Greenville with with the drive, the Red Sox single A team, and that is a one big dude. Mm. You, when you see him in person, he is just a monster, and the power is legit. It's I mean, it's every bit plus potential, double plus, honestly, raw that he could tap into, and the hit tool is developing. Like I think there's probably some questions right now, but I could see the hit tool definitely developing to average to above average at least. Yeah. And so when you combine that. I mean, from from the left side of the plate, man, he's just going to mash in Boston looking at a guy that can easily hit 30 home runs. He's built like a a tight end, honestly, and just can hit the ball to all fields well, which also is impressive. You mentioned the Votto approach, which is interesting because he does – he really resembles that, and that's not something I'd ever read or like thought about until now. But, you know, he's very patient at the plate. He walks at a high clip. And then, you know, he hits the ball on the line pretty solid. Like, he's got a pretty solid line drive fly ball rate, which is encouraging. And when he gets the ball in the air, he's going to hit a lot of home runs. He's going to have a high home run to fly ball rate. He's not going to strike out at a rate that will hurt you also. Like, I don't, he's not in a scary range of, like, plate discipline either. So, he's, he's a great prospect. He's another one that I think debuts this year in 2021, which would be a nice little boost for the – for your Red Sox offense there, and he could be one you get really sneaky late. I mean, maybe not. I mean, probably not worth drafting. I think he'll be up late 2021, if anything. But but who knows, man? We could be surprised and see him up early, which will be exciting for sure. Yeah, I I mentioned that in my article, too, where there's a a slight chance of a a late 2021 debut, depending on how the minor league season goes. Hopefully we have one. And if we do, I see him probably, this might be wishful thinking, but starting at double A up in my neck of the woods here in uh, Portland, Maine. That'd be awesome. Get some live looks early in the year because I don't think he's a stay too long. So there definitely is a chance of a, a late 2021 debut. So definitely you know, keep an eye on him. You know, it's, if those the rumor mills start churning about him getting called up if you know Dahlbeck is struggling or whatnot, which definitely could happen with Dahlbeck. Um definitely Keep an eye on him. He would definitely be a nice addition. But, yeah, I'm thinking more 2022. But, yeah, throw him in the middle of that lineup with Rafael Devers and Xander Bogarts and right behind, you know, Alex Verdugo and probably, you know, Jaron Duran and Jeter Downs. That's going to be a very, very good, you know, lineup for next handful of years. I think we have all those guys locked up for at least next handful of years, which is great. We're going to work on the pitching a little bit here, but – uh. No, offensively, I think the Red Sox are going to be okay when when we add, uh, add Tristan into the fold here in the next year or two. That'll be definitely exciting, both from fantasy perspective and as a Red Sox fan, obviously, as well. You know, moving on here to the, the last guy of this elite tier, Alex Kirilov. Chris, what should people be excited about with Alex Kirilov? For one, I think that Kirilov is going to be the everyday probably corner outfielder for the twins. We saw them let go Eddie Rosario, which was discouraging for some, but I think that says that Kirilov or Trevor Larnick will be up there and playing. So we we mentioned that him playing the outfield. I think long-term he does slide over to first base, just kind of from what I'm seeing right now, I classify him as an outfielder, but maybe, I mean, maybe even this year he gets some reps at first base. Who knows how Mm -hmm. that all plays out, but Kirilov is, 
been a guy that slid down some prospect ranks. He still remained pretty high on my list. I've seen him drop pretty low on some people, but I still think he's a top 15 prospect. He's got legit hit tool, legit power. And so, again, we're looking at just just as much capability as like Andrew Vaughn here with like a potential 60-grade hit, potential 60-grade raw power. Uh, the game power is probably slightly less because we haven't seen that yet. And I think that's one of the reasons that that he has slid down some lists because we it's easy to see that plus raw power, but he just hasn't shown it in games. But regardless, I mean, he's shown us a lot just in the, at each stop in the minor leagues. I mean, he's shown an ability to walk at a high clip. He doesn't strike out a lot. He hits a lot of line drives, a lot of fly balls, and he hits, he hits the ball extremely hard too, which is impressive. And for a high average, I mean, he's hit hit for average everywhere he's gone. His lowest average in any stop was in double A, and it was 283. So still looking at impressive numbers there. And so long-term, I think Karloff is a very solid player. And right now his stock has fallen a little bit. So if you don't own him in Dynasty, I'd go at least check in on the owner and see uh, what they're feeling. Because if they've kind of soured on him a little bit, it's a chance to buy low. I think his stock picks up a little bit. And even if he struggles a little bit to begin the season, because I do think he begins the season um, with the big league club. He's 23 years old now. So I think it's his time to really just see what he can do and shine. So I check in. He's worth an option to potentially buy low on in Dynasty, like Kirloff a lot. So what are your thoughts? I totally agree with that. And for what it's worth, I just pulled up the Minnesota Twins depth chart on roster resource and fan graphs. They have him as the starting DH, um, hitting sixth right behind Donaldson, Sano, and Jorge Polanco right in front of Byron Buxton. And then they also have Jake Cave as left fielder, which I think that's just to throw someone in there. So definitely, there's definitely a path to playing time for Kaloff early this season, whether it's DHing, you know, out in left field. Who knows? They could put Sano at DH, but Kaloff first. They actually have a little bit of, you know, a little bit of flexibility here. And you know, I think Brent Rucker might get a, a chance as well for one of those two spots. He came up, you know, late last season and performed fairly well, hitting 316. Uh, 381, 579 with a bomb in 21 plate appearances. Yes, very small sample size, of course. But, you know, he's he's been one of their top prospects for the last handful of years as well. But definitely a path to playing time there for Kirloff. And, you know, you mentioned with the power, he really he needs to add a little bit of loft to his swing because he's, like you mentioned, he has shown the plus raw power, but has really had a, you know, a harder time translating that into game power. For the most part, I think he was his career high for home runs in the minors. Uh, he had a 20 home run season in 130 games, overall 36 in 279 games, which I think is right around like a 23, 24 homer pace. And I definitely, well, that's, I think, a fair explanation for him. I think he could be right around a 25 homer guy, maybe peaks in the low 30s. Like I mentioned, the, he's been a little ground ball happy for the most part in the minor leagues with, you know, ground ball rates in the around, you know, 48, 49% fly ball rates in the low thirties, you know, swing is, you know, fairly linear. So if he can really focus on, you know, getting that launch angle up and, you know, joining the the new launch angle revolution here in baseball that we've had over the last year or two, I don't think you, you can see some 30 homer seasons out of him to go along with that pretty strong batting average. Like this could, the guy could, you know, hit 300, you know, Brant, I think I like, comparing him to Michael Brantley a little bit, but that's kind of like my generic comp for these, you know, plus hit tool, plus power guys um, that maybe only hit like, you know, 20, 25 home runs. I think Brantley early on in his career, I don't think Kidolf will you know, steal as, as much as Brantley did early in his career, which wasn't a ton, but I think Brantley had a couple 10 plus steal seasons. 
But you're looking at Karloff as because he's very high floor. Like you mentioned, deflated value. He's had a couple injuries, which has really hampered him a little bit. He missed all of 2017 with Tommy John, then had the hand injury in 2019, which really zapped his power for a good two-thirds of the season. Then he came back in September. I think he hit like 320 with five bombs in September or something along those lines. So you definitely saw you know, the bounce back once he was able to get past that hand injury. And, yeah, definitely a, a good buy low, as you mentioned, his stock has fallen. Prospect rankings have fallen. He he has dropped a little bit in mine, but you know more so f- me adding other players in ahead of him, like Zach Veens and Torx of the world. But I still have him. I think I have him twenty one or twenty two in mine. You're know, right in the same range as you know Tristan Cassis. So definitely a you know a high upside you know player. Pretty high floor. Very polished hitter. Um, so definitely um, yeah. Throw a uh, throw a late run flyer at Karolovs, especially now. You know. Worst case scenario, you get news that, you know, oh, they're starting at AAA or whatever. And, okay, you drop him for somebody else. You know, there's no real risk with drafting him late or, or you know, spending a buck on him in auctions or, or wherever it might be. So uh, definitely um, definitely looking forward to seeing Karloff here in 2021 for the Twins and adding to that, you know, already pretty pretty loaded lineup they have. There's That's definitely a top 10 lineup, and he'll be, you know, probably hitting in the middle of that sooner rather than later here. And a couple other guys we had debut this year, you know, Kirilov had that one game in the uh, NLDS. So he said you get to play the regular season game, but these three have. We got Ryan Mountcastle of the Orioles, Lewin Diaz of Minnesota, and Pavin Smith of the Arizona Diamondbacks, who I totally forgot came up because Pavin Smith is that boring to me. So um, I, I won't speak too long of Pavin Smith, but the other two guys got some pretty solid potential, but, you know, between Mountcastle and, and Diaz, I'm pretty sure these are the two, the top two of this trio, Chris. Who do you like more between Mountcastle and Diaz long term? I don't know. I'm kind of torn because I feel like Mountcastle is a little safer, but I think Diaz has a higher ceiling, honestly, with that big raw power that he has. And I don't know. I'm just not the highest on Mountcastle, so I'm probably the wrong person <laughs> to ask, but he's just kind of like the prototypical, like, boring kind of player. And he was impressive. I mean, he, when he came up this year, he, he impressed. He slashed 333, 386, 492, and hit five home runs and just 140-plate appearances. So he, he definitely showed some nice ability coming up this year. But I kind of question whether it's a time to sell high on him in Dynasty. I mean, he's got some pop. Like, I've seen, I saw him a couple times live. And he's got a, he definitely has some pop in the bat. He hit 25 homers in 2019. There's potential plus raw, I think, in this profile. Again, he's translated a little better than uh, Kirilov has, but I don't know. There's just some some reservations I have about Mountcastle. But on the flip side, like, while Lewin Diaz hasn't really done it as much, like, I think that he could just really explode. Like, he could potentially hit 30-plus bombs, and I wouldn't be surprised. He just needs a shot to play. And right now, I know that he came up, he really didn't get – many reps he didn't get consistent playing time to get going last year but if they would if the marlins would commit to playing him whether it be first or dh whatever it'd be i think that he could really take off and so right now like if we're looking at it from a dynasty perspective and looking at a guy that i'm looking to acquire it's definitely lewin diaz because the the value and the potential return on what you pay because mount castle he might be at peak value right now so if you own him, it could be a good time to sell. I wouldn't. I don't think I would buy him right now just because of the season that he had coming up. 
I don't know. What are your thoughts? Because I'm kind of torn. I'm not super high on Mountcastle. Yeah, so I'm hoping that none of my home Keeper League buddies are listening to this because I'm currently trying to sell Ryan Mountcastle. So if you are listening, he is great. It's 80-grade hit tool, 80-grade power. He's going to be a 450-homer guy. Now, um, I do lean a little more towards Mountcastle. He just screams the prototypical Baltimore Orioles hitter that we've seen for basically the better part of a decade or more, even more um, with that high kind of high contact, low walk rate, some solid pop. He reminds me a lot of, you know, Adam Jones. I think Jones was, you know, always a guy that would hit 280, 290 walk rate would be like four to 5%, 25 or so bombs. I think Mountcastle can be that type, you know, who knows where he ends up defensively. Like, we quoted them here because, you know, over the last year or two, he's played mostly first with some outfield mixed in, played both spots with Baltimore after he came up. But defensively, he's just not great. You know, he was drafted and started out as a shortstop. Then they realized, no, he isn't great there. Moved him to third. Yeah, he's not great there either. Moved him over to first. So, you know, now it's a first base corner outfield profile. You know, maybe he's a DH at some point. Who knows? But I think for right now, I do see him kind of, playing enough at first base to qualify there. And I like the bat. I think he can be that 280, 25 type, but OBP will probably be like 320 at best, you know, maybe 330 if he gets up to 300, which I think he could do. I think he has a contact skills to do so. So he might run into a 300 average at some point in his career. But with Lewin Diaz, you know, he's solid. I just think there's a profile that's very easily attainable when it comes to fantasy. Now, obviously, that power is very good. Easy plus power, elevates very well, can get a little pull happy at times. But you, know, you really saw the, the power profile take off in 2019 after it was you know kind of there in you know batting practice. The raw power was there prior to that, but never really had that big you know home you know home run total to put with it. And then 2019 uh, between. Miami and Minnesota after he came over in the um, Sergio Romo trade, you know, hit 270, 27 bombs in 121 games. I definitely think the 30 home run bat is there, but you know, at the same time, I don't know if he hits more than like 260 or so, maybe 270 at peak. And he's a 268 career hitter in the minors, never really walked much, you know, only 6.6%, but also didn't strike out a whole lot either. You think usually with these guys that have a fringe average hit tool, they usually the strikeout rate's a little higher, at least in the 20s. No, with Dias, it was 17.6%. But I said, you know, I kind of profile him as like a 250 to 260 hitter, 25 to 30 home runs, which is solid. Absolutely solid. That plays in fantasy, but it's also, like I said, a profile you can find fairly easily. The mediocre to average batting average types that can hit 25 to 30 home runs. You find those a lot. So I think with the higher average potential with Mount Castle and even high, a little bit higher OBP potential as well, neither one of these guys walk much, but the better contact skills, I think you'll see a higher OBP, even if neither one of them are great with Mount Castle. So I do lean Mount Castle, but you know, both these guys are, you know, potential factors here in 2021. As of now, Diaz isn't projected as a starting first baseman because they also have Jesus Aguilar and Garrett Cooper in the mix down there in Miami. So, you know, one of those two, probably Aguilar, gets that 
role here, but who knows? Like we were talking about before we came on, Chris, you know, they very well could trade Aguilar. They could trade Cooper. Who knows? So I think Diaz will be back up, you know, even if he starts at AAA. We back up at some point in 2021, maybe you know May or June or so. Who knows? But I think we'll definitely get a shot. And then Mount Castle will probably be you know hitting in the middle of the order for Baltimore because they don't really have a lot else there. Just after they got rid of Hanser Alberto and um, oh, who's the other corner guy they got rid of? Alex Fast is gonna kill me. That was his boy, um, Chris. Who is it? The other corner. I'm playing. They got rid of Hanser yeah, Alberto. Yeah, the other one. Not Rio Ruiz. And... Who's the other guy? Oh, Renato I'm Nunez. Blanking. There we go. There we go. Yeah, there <laughs> we go. three that are all yeah. kind of like those corner guys. Um, so there's definitely plenty of spots for Mountcastle to step in, whether they put him at first base or in left field. Um, probably hitting anywhere from second to fifth, you got to think, in that lineup. So I like him as like a, you know, pick, you know, past like pick 200 or so. I think I think Melty has some potential for sure um, for redraft. And yeah, I do, I do give Dodd to him a little bit long term, but. Now, what about Pavin Smith for you, Chris? Do you like Pavin Smith? I know you ranked him a little higher than me, only by a couple spots. I don't think you, I don't think you're crazy about him, but he definitely has improved a little bit over the last couple of years, though. Yeah, so he's just very interesting, very boring. We talked about before the show is his power output was averaging what like twelve home runs per one sixty two, yeah, something crazy like that. I think he's got the ability to hit for average, and he's got pretty solid approach to the plate. I mean, he has walked more than he struck out at a couple stops, which is pretty impressive. Um, He came up this year. I mean, I know it's an extremely small sample, but he still walked over 11% of the time. So it's an interesting profile. He's like, he kind of reminds me of like Joey Votto with no power, which is interesting. (laughs) Very, very, very interesting profile there. Yeah. Right. So what, what worth is that? I don't really know. I don't know. I was much higher on him when he came out, like when he was drafted in 2017. I think the Diamondbacks took him, I think, seventh overall, which is pretty high. Um, but I've kind of soured on him a little bit. It's just where we are with first base right now. It's like, you know, who who do you put in these spots in the back end of the like number like the 10 range and stuff? So it's a weird place to rank guys. But I don't know, man. He's just kind of a boring profile. I don't see him doing a whole lot. I don't know. Tell yeah. me I'm wrong. <laughs> I don't think you are wrong. I, I kind of the thought I've always had with, with Pavin Smith is that he's gonna have I think he's gonna have a long career. I you guess, you know, fifteen years from now you're gonna be like, Holy crap, Pavin Smith is still you know kicking around. You know, he's been you know probably on four different teams by that point, maybe, but I think he's gonna do enough to stick around. Maybe has a few years where he's like waiver wire fodder or something like that, but I said, until he gets the power, and the, there's some raw power there. He's got, you know, a, a, maybe above average raw power. It just hasn't projected as well as pe- people thought initially. Like you mentioned, the approach is great. You know, he's always walked above 10% of the time, does not strike out a whole lot at all. Yes, he struck out only a few more times when he walked in his minor league career so far. But more so, he's pretty ground ball heavy usually in the mid to upper 40% ground ball rate, fly ball rates and using the load of it thirties, very linear swing, doesn't drive the ball in the air too much. And I said the, the pro the power profile just hasn't progressed as much as people have thought. And his estimated fly ball distance here, I'm looking at it on minor graphs and prospect live. It has jumped a little bit right around like 
eight to nine feet every year from 283 to 292 to 302. But it just doesn't – with the whole package, the ground ball rate, the linear swing, it just doesn't really scream that he's at a – unless he does like a a major mechanical change and changes that swing path, maybe he – 20, I maybe. That might even be a little generous, but – the average should be pretty solid. OBP will be solid. So you know, maybe he's a 280, 360 type that is in the 12 to 15 home run range. So NL only format, sure, super deep uh, mixed leagues, maybe. But he also doesn't look like he's going to play a whole heck of a lot this year. You know, that Christian Walker at first base, who's been pretty solid. So I don't see any immediate value. But, you know, maybe he's one to keep around. It says he, he, won't take much to acquire him, you know. If you want to go out and do so, it's because he's not very sexy at all of a, pro- of a prospect pedigree. So maybe you can go get him for cheap for that reason. But yeah, I don't see a whole lot of long term upside here from Pavin Smith. But you know what? Maybe I'll be wrong. We'll see. But let's take a qu- go ahead and take a quick break here. And on, the other, on the other side, we'll come back, have a couple of debates, and get in some breakout potential at this position, which there are some, you know, you might not think there are, but there are some here, which have some exciting you know, future prospects here. So we'll get into that when we come back. All right. Welcome back from the break. Let's get into a debate here with really, and this includes one of the, basically the only other first baseman drafted in this draft. There wasn't many, you know, last week we had a, a nice segment on the 2020 draftees that, so there was a lot of them at catcher, including the, the big four. This year for first base wasn't a great draft. I said it was Spencer Torkelson and then this guy, Aaron Sabato. And then we're going to kind of pair him up here and debate him against a 2019 draftee from the Rockies and Michael Toglia. Chris, why don't you go first? Who do you like more here? I guess people already know because you ranked uh, where you had them ranked and we started the show. But, you know, why? Who do you like more here? Remind the people. And then why do you like this guy more? Yeah, I have Toglia ranked higher. Maybe I shouldn't because Colorado. <laughs> but then again, course field. Because Colorado. <laughs> right. So there's there's pros and minuses of, of this. I mean, Toglia has a chance to become the Rockies first baseman. It's pretty wide open. I mean, are they going to play – Daniel Murphy is, I don't even know if he's still there. He, but, he can't, he can't kick around forever. Like he's right. holding on by a thread right now. I think year or two he's gone. Right. Ryan McMahon. I mean, I don't know. I think there's a spot for Toglia soon. I don't think he debuts until 2022, but he's got the raw power that will really play up in that park pending that, you know, he does get the chance to be on the field because the Rockies don't like to put guys like under 25 on the field for some reason. So <laughs> who knows? You know, we can go all day about that. But I think Togley has quite an impressive approach at the plate. Pretty sound discipline. He walks at a high clip. Uh, strikeouts are a little more than I'd like to see, but it's still not like a, a overwhelmingly scary number. And he's very solid in the field, which helps his case to play, I think. When he, you're looking at a guy that's potential plus first baseman, which is interesting. It's hard to look at a guy that way that plays first. But he's a great in the field. He's got a good arm. So he's going to play. The hit tool, I think, plays up probably to above average, but the raw power is what sells me in cores. Uh, he was added to the 60-man pool last year, so they were potentially looking at – I mean, I know that didn't really mean a whole lot, but again, who knows? He might have come up and play this year, but I think 2022 is 
more likely he's a switch hitter again, which will will benefit him. He can he's versatile against uh, both left and right handed pitchers, but also like Sabato too. I think you had Sabato higher. You had Sabato higher. So let's see. What do you think of Sabato? I actually literally have flip flop them back and forth. Is there? I think they're within a couple spots of each other in my overall. So yeah, I've gone back and forth a few times on these two. You know, I think with I feel I think the profile is a bit safer. I'll play the pros and pros and cons here. For Sabato, I think the profile is a bit safer. Strikes out a bit less. I think the hit tool. You know, it may be a, a little more advanced than Toglia. Then you look over at Toglia, and he's got the advantage of being at Coors Field. So, you know, it kind of evens itself out. Like I said, they're pretty close in my overall rankings. But I just think that Savato's a safer profile. But then again, these Minnesota, they have – it was a very odd draft pick for them. I like Sabato. Don't get me wrong. He from my North Carolina Tar Heels. But – they have a bunch of these guys already. They already have, like, for the kind of the corner outfield, first base, DH kind of areas, there's a log jam there. You know, we already mentioned Kirilov will be there, Brent Rooker. Um, they have Trevor Larnick as a corner outfielder. You know, Miguel Sano over there at first base now. You know, we'll still say that will probably stick. You know, Matthew Walner, uh, who they just drafted not too long ago. So it was just a profile I don't think the Minnesota really needed. That's nothing to take away from the the bat of Sabato's. I think he's going to be around an average hit tool. You know, walks a decent amount. I think he can be a pretty solid OBP guy as well. Keeps his strikeouts in check. Got the plus raw power. I think this could be a thirty homer bat um, that you probably stick. You know, he looks like a, your prototypical number five, maybe number six hitter in, in that deep Twins lineup. But you know, a guy that could rack up the RBIs is who will have hitting in front of him more often than not, including, you know, probably Kirilov and Trevor Larnick and within the next couple of years. So I think he's going to be part of that core with them and Royce Lewis as well, obviously. But again, this, this this is also a profile. I feel like I was describing, you know, your prototypical easy to get first base profile where, you know, 260, 270, 30 bombs. That's pretty solid. But, you know, Sweater doesn't really stand out to me. He's a borderline top 100 guy overall. And Toglia is as well. I think they're both in the 105 range for me right now. So you really, if you want to go strictly on upside, maybe you give the knock or the uh, advantage to Toglia when you factor in course field. But you know, if you want the safer profile, the one that will probably, I think he might even beat Toglia to the majors. You know, they'll probably both be up 2022 ish, but I see Sabato probably rising a little quicker. Then Toglia, and then obviously you got to factor in how these two organizations treat their prospects and and how they how they push them. Which Minnesota hasn't really been an organization that really pushes either, but they're definitely not as bad as Colorado. Nobody is. So I think that makes it so Sabato's up sooner and a little more immediate impact for all you you win now folk out there. So you know, like I said, I can go either way. I'd be happy to have either one. I think the upside for each is like. You know, peak, maybe you get in the back end, you know, starting first baseman territory, you know, that 10 to 15 range among first basemen just due to the fact that they can hit first a decent average, some good pop. They'll probably have some good counting stats along with it. Uh, be kind of like those kind of three and a half category producers. Um, so, yeah, both of these guys have pretty, pretty good profiles here, pretty good upside. So, like I said, I'll take either one of them, really. But now let's move on to some breakouts here. We each got two breakouts we're going to 
talk about here. Um, kind of further down the rankings that we both like quite a bit here. It's funny, my two are actually from Chris's team, um, so I'm stealing the Braves here. But Chris, why don't you uh, why don't you go first? Who's your first breakout here at this first base position? I'm gonna butcher this name, so I apologize. Uh, Yakinzi Noel, the Indians, a young first base prospect, also potentially might play some third base. He really impressed me when I've looked into him. He debuted in rookie league at 16 years old, hit 10 bombs, stole six bases in 250, 260 plate appearance, excuse me. Um, didn't hit for solid average, just hit 243, but 357 OBP was pretty impressive. Um, he hit a lot of line drive, a solid line drive rate and a good fly ball rate, which was encouraging. I think you're looking, he's a smaller guy, 6'1, 180, but there's potential like plus power in this profile. The hit tool is not as advanced. And he's pretty slow. So it'll be interesting to see how he plays out. Like, could he be a DH? Maybe. Maybe first base is his home. He's super under the radar, but I think he could really take off with some exposure this year. I haven't heard a lot of him out of their camp. The Indians did a lot. They put out a lot about what was going on within their camp. But in 2019, he was just 17 years old, and he did look a little more advanced at the plate. He hit 287, which was encouraging. And the slugging was a little bit higher. They didn't hit quite as many home runs. He hit just six in 209 plate appearances. It's interesting because when you watch him, he's not very fast at all, but he does steal bases. So he, between those two seasons, looking at about 110 games, he stole 10 base or 11 bases, which you know, isn't bad by any means. But intriguing profile. Again, this could go a lot of ways. There's probably an extremely low floor here, but the upside – with where he's valued right now, you could get a nice return. And so Noel is a guy that I'd be looking at. He may not even be on, depending on how deep your dynasty league is, because he's he's pretty deep uh, when we're looking down the ranks. But still, there's some potential value to be had here with Noel. And so he's my first breakout guy. And let's go back to you, since you took both my Atlanta Braves guys. Who you got first? <laughs> yeah, I totally just snatched both of uh, Chris and Braves. <laughs> I, I gave him, with, in my defense... Before we came on, I was I noticed that I didn't even realize it at first. But I was like, "Hey, do you want one of the one of these two Braves guys?" He's like, "He's like, nah, nah, it's okay." So I gave I him the opportunity <laughs> to snatch one back, and, and he passed. He was like, oh, "I did." That was a true <laughs> statement. But hey, uh, I'd, I'd love to hear someone else hyping up the Braves players. So, oh, of course you would, absolutely. Um, I like I like Noel as well. I actually have him in where is he one eighty one uh, for my last. Uh, in my last top 250 update a couple weeks ago. So definitely, definitely like Noel. And then here's a guy who's pretty close to him in my rankings, but 12 to 15 spots below him. That's Bryce Ball from, yes, Chris's Atlanta Braves. Ball is a big dude. Very big dude. 6'6", 240. I think the 240 might be a little generous, but you know, very strong frame. Now, that's not like a, you know, a bad frame. This is a pretty strong frame throughout, especially in the upper half. You know, upper half is very strong. Lower half, legs are very, you know, very thick, tree trunk legs as well. So this is really an all-around strong frame and the power to go along with it. This is a easy plus power from the left side of the plate. Gets some pretty solid loft. Can get a bit pull happy, though. So that's one thing that, you know, worries me a little bit. Um, but he can really get a charge into one to his pull side and hit some mammoth blast, you know, in his debut in – mostly the Appalachian League, but then also had some time in the South Atlantic League as well in 2019. 
combined for a 329, 395, 628 slash with 17 home runs in a total of 62 games and 263 plate appearances. Walked right around 10% of the time and kept the strikeout rates right below 20%. You know, this is, and that kind of fits what he did his last year at Dallas Baptist too, which is not, you know, a, in a huge conference. So that he's not like in the sec or anything like that, but you got to love what he did there too. That slash line was, you know, basically the same, but a higher OBP walked 51 times in 63 games, added another 18 bombs there. So you look at a guy where I think he, he's definitely provides as a plus power guy that could hit 30 bombs over a full season. I think the hit tool I think it could be around average, you know, those, you know, 320 averages I just read off can be a little misleading. He's not that type of hitter, but definitely a very solid hit tool, solid approach, you know, maybe, you know, 270, I think is a, a fair range for Bryce Ball moving forward. You know, maybe a little bit more than that, maybe a little bit less, but I think definitely in that general vicinity. And he was a guy that really didn't have much fanfare. I mean, to the 2019 draft, he's a 24th round pick, AKA 19 rounds longer than the 2020 draft. So he comes out in 2020. He might not even be on a minor league team or in an organization right now. So, but definitely a big riser. I think I would really expect him to do this well, this early on, but you got to always be a little, a little cautious with these, you know, the college guys that just rake in the Appalachian league. Cause you know, usually, you know, you're facing competition a little bit younger than you for the most part. Maybe he's a DH long-term, so I don't know how he fits in in Atlanta. Obviously, they have some dude named Freddie Freeman there, who we were talking about this before we came on. I think he's only under contract for one more season, but like you mentioned, Chris, you know, this could be, you know, this is like their new Chipper Jones. So probably, you know, I'd expect them to resign Freddie Freeman. So I don't know where ball fits in. He's a below average defender, fringe arm. I don't see them putting him in the out, in the corner outfield spot. Maybe I don't see it. First base DH, maybe they, they use him in trade and he ends up in the AL. Who knows? But definitely a lot of power in his profile, solid hit tool, solid approach. Uh, could be a, a pretty high riser. And I already have him in my top 200, but I think you could see him. Another good year in 2021 where he's hitting for average, hitting for power, and showcasing that plate approach. You could see him vault up into the top 150s, maybe even push top 100. So, yeah, really like Bryce Ball here. But who's your second guy? Yep, it's another young guy. This guy's in the Giants system, and it's Victor Barracuda. We called him the Barracuda earlier. Maybe throw a nice little (laughs) nickname on him. Maybe it sticks. Who knows? He's a beanpole, man. He's 6'1", 155 is what he's listed at. So dude needs to put on a little weight there. Uh, But if he does, I think he grows into some, some power, man, because he was pretty impressive at 17 years old when he debuted in rookie ball in 2019. Uh, he slashed 344, 472, 485. So obviously there wasn't a whole lot of power. He had just five home runs, but he did steal 13 bags, which was intriguing for sure. He hit the ball on the ground a lot, but I think that he obviously fills out this frame a little more. He's young. He's going to grow. Honestly, he probably could have put on a little weight since then. We There's not been a lot of report on him since 2019. So that we're looking at like a year and a half since we've had much info on him. But I think he's very intriguing, the guy that it could jump a lot this year. He actually just turned 19 uh, several days ago. So still very young, uh, advanced profile. I think potential above average hit tool. I think he could get to average power. And he's actually got some intriguing speed, which is um, nice to see at a first base position. I think he could potentially move to the outfield. But for now, like he's listed at first base. 
And so we'll stick with that. So Victor Barracoto is a guy to watch out for there. And I definitely check in and see. Um, he's probably not owned. Again, he's a guy that's really low. Like think of Bryce Ball. He's a guy that a lot of people know. A lot of people probably don't know Barracoto's name. So check in on him. See where he's at. If you're in a shallow league, dynasty league, probably not worth getting yet. But I do think that 2021 could be a big breakout year for him, especially if he comes into camp, has added a little weight, still demonstrates that solid hit tool and speed, and then taps into a little power. He could be a really solid player. Probably not anything special, but you're looking at some value here at first base if you can hit for average and steal some bags, which which is encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, Bryce Ball, a little more known here. But this next guy I'll talk about from the Brave system, another 2019 draftee that was not drafted early. This one in the 18th round. Who would have thought that both my breakout first baseman would be from the same draft class, drafted by the same team, both in the 15th round or later? That's kind of odd, but that's how it works out. But Makai Backstrom is my next guy here. Uh, California guy. We, we, we looked him up before the show. I was like, we both kind of thought that isn't like he's probably from you know somewhere else, but no, born California, raised California, graduated high school in California. It's a California kid through and through. Another big guy too, kind of in a similar, not quite as big as Bryce Ball, but not too far off. Listed at six five two forty, left-handed hitter. Another guy plus raw power, you know, hit tool. Another one around average, and he, he had a pretty solid debut. Um, as well as I got to get to the right spot of my notes here. There we go. Uh, in the Gulf Coast League in 2019, only 23 games, but slash 300, 402, 457, five doubles, two bombs, even added in a steal in 23 games. You know, walked over 10% of the time. Did strike out a little bit too much, though. But again, very small sample size. So he, he's one where you definitely can get him for basically nothing right now. You know, deeper dynasty leagues, you know, he's not in my top 250 right now. He'd probably be, if I extended that one out, eh, three, 300, 350, somewhere in that general ballpark. It's not too far off, but someone that is not quite well known yet. Definitely has a potential. But again, this is a first baseman. Though I don't think he can really play any results. He's a little more agile than Bryce Ball when you, when you compare the two. But again, I don't know if corner outfield is, you know, somewhere he could stick. And then again, it's not like, you know, Braves have, you know, a, a lack of options out there with Acuna and, you know, Drew Waters and, and Pache and everyone. So, you know, not like you can just, like, oh, he's moving the outfield. No, they're pretty stocked there too for the, in the long run. So it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. But you know, he's one where he's still only 19 years old, just turned 19 a couple months ago in, in mid-October. You know, played all of 2019 at age 17. So he's still one that's a few years away. So there's, you know, you hear the old, you know, saying that these things have a way of working themselves out. Who knows? Maybe they don't resend Freddie Freeman. I know that would just absolutely kill Chris if they didn't do that. And many other Braves fans like Ray Butler, probably. But, um, you know, who knows? Who knows? There's a long way. But if you want just a, a dart throw in Dynasty Leagues, you know, Baxham has the potential to be a pretty solid bat that you can get for absolutely free right now so he both my guys are from the braves here and that's gonna wrap us up you know it actually ended up being not as bad of an episode as i thought you know like i said before when we came on the air that i think i like catcher a little more right now odd to say but first base does have some some good pieces to it if you look deep enough and 
obviously you got to love all those guys at the top that we talked about to start the show. Very, very good top four there with all top 25 guys in, in my dynasty rankings. So like I said, that will do it. Follow us on Twitter. Chris is at Roto Clegg. I am at Eric Cross 04. And our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. Again, please drop that five-star review uh, if you don't mind. That would really help us out. It helps with like visibility and iTunes and all those, all that good stuff. And we will be back next week to talk second base. And we will also put out our uh, consensus rankings here between Chris and I in a tweet like we did with Catcher last week. We'll probably put that out on Wednesday, a couple days after the show, let the show marinate a little bit. But, yeah, we'll be back next week with second base. But until then, take care.